going down what's the how, how we doing how we feeling Did you see the marvels no i'm kidding i have way too many tv streaming services i have netflix i have amazon prime i have hulu i have disney plus i have uh uh max i have do you have um, nickelodeon slime double plus I've got Better Homes and Garden Channel. Oh, so you do have the Better Homes and Garden Channel. I've got uh, <laughs> I've got the Spike Network somehow. <laughs> do you <Spike> have <laughs> Do you have outside of the Common Man Plus? Because that's the one that I figured that you would definitely be on. I have Criterion. <laughs> of course, um, you do. <laughs> And so I do have all these services, but I am noticing a distinct lack of interesting programming to watch. I mean, there might be one or two programs on at any one time, but it just seems like there isn't the bounty of of fine programs that there once were, were. And I wanted to come on and talk about this because... There was an article recently in... It was in the, the New, New Yorker. Yorker. We read the New Yorker. Yes, we um, do read one, the New one Yorker. Of the re- one of the very uh, regular common man occurrences that I partake of on a regular basis. Listen, this um, is one thing that we share. Teams and I both read the New Yorker. So if that makes me outside of the common man, that's fine. I appreciate good journalism, as I have stated many times on this podcast. He's a New York Times bestseller. The article that I read, written by Mark, Michael Shulman, called The Twilight of Prestige Television. Check it out on the New Yorker site. It kind of goes into some detail about this and talks about um, what are some of the... Kind of talks about the... Uh, rise of prestige television and the birth of streaming and kind of sets the stage for the color for the current television landscape we find ourselves in so what i'd like to do real quick is maybe people aren't aware of the phrase the term prestige tv so can i outline that real quick can i quarterback that for the people i mean if you want to if you think so little of the people that you it's don't think not, they know what prestige television is, but uh, not that I don't go right ahead. A little go of the right people. Ahead. I like to be helpful. Okay, why you be, okay? So, <laughs> French scholar Alexis Pitchard uh, has argued, and this wow, is <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did my homework. Okay, what do you want mm-hmm. from me? Uh, this is on Wikipedia. He argued that television enjoyed a golden, a second golden age, starting in the 2000s, which was a combination of three elements. And I'm going to ask you if you agree or disagree with these elements. First, an improvement in both visual aesthetics and storytelling. Whenabouts did he say this happened? Uh, In the 2000s, the early 2000s. Sure. Second, an overall homogeneity 
between cable series and network series? Uh, so a hub, so a homogeneity of network series and what and broadcast series? What between cable and networks? Uh, sort of. Okay. And then finally, a tremendous popular success. That's all it says. It doesn't say anything specifically. He does contend that the second golden age was a result of a revolution initiated by traditional networks in the 80s and carried on by the cable channels, especially HBO in the 90s. Yes, I agree with that. However, I do think there were a couple of other factors involved. Okay. Maybe. It's the fact that there had always been shows that were that were willing to push the envelope um, and try to do more in-depth and, and you know, being more visually interesting and trying to be more... Uh, just edgy. Uh, I just, yeah, more complicated, complex, uh, nuanced subject matter. However, because of uh, the way television worked, um television had because television was uh paid for by advertiser and advertisers and advertisers want the biggest audience possible the programming always kind of had to get the edges shaved off so that it could appeal to the large to the broadest common denominator does that make sense does what that, I'm making sense that makes sense because it's also something that shulman pointed out in his article that we'll get to yeah um but what happened was uh, a lot of the sh- a lot of the newer shows, especially the HBO shows, started to get a lot of uh, critical acclaim and began to be consumed by I I don't want to say elites, but yeah, for the most part, like cultural elites and like uh, uh, quote unquote the smart people. This goes hand in hand also with an era in filmmaking yeah. where more risks were being taken. Like this is right after the indie boom of the nineties and people that were still kind of looking for that stuff started gravitating towards these more complicated uh, shows with this, this more uh, complicated subject matter. So I like think the Sopranos or the wire or Oz or stuff like that. Yeah. Basically like, you weren't going to go to the movie theater and watch, I don't know, um, a Tarantino film or, or seven, but, and then go home and watch, uh, friends. I mean, you would, but like, if you wanted more (laughs) stuff that was like what was in the movies, uh, HBO was there and glad to try to oblige you and go deeper with some of this subject matter. And I think that's the initial appeal of HBO. That's that I think that's what kicks off the quote unquote prestige era. Right. Um Shulman talked about the the three HBO Davids. So it was uh Morse, Fincher, and No, it was Milch. Uh, Chase, Chase Simon and Milch. So they all so essentially, yeah, the Sopranos, the, the Sopranos, Wire, the Wire, and Deadwood, Deadwood respectively. Mm-hmm. Um so Agreed. Like you, like you said, if you were watching the edgier indie stuff, like Tarantino, like Pulp Fiction, not so much Clerks because it was a comedy, but kind of in that same vein of like indie. What is this? This looks really like 
deep in the subject matter, you would go to HBO for these shows. Mm-hmm. Um, me personally, I didn't really get into the Sopranos or the wire until like much later in my life, but I knew how good they were. Cause I've been told about them over and over and over again. This really is the, this really is the height of the HBO, um, mandatory Sunday, 9 PM, 10 PM programming block. You're going to see something that's like challenging and like, and has a lot and has, a degree of artistic merit to it. Oh, I would um, even put Sex in the City in there. Sex in the City is definitely in there, along with a lot of the other early HBO shows. But yeah, really, it's The Sopranos, The Wire, and well, Oz. I don't want to jump over Oz because Oz is very important as far as this goes. But yeah, like Sex and the City, Oz really started off, and then The Sopranos takes the ball, and then like The Wire and the shows like Deadwood, they kind of run with it since the table had been set for that and there was this desire for it, uh, other networks started coming through FX started coming up with like the shield and justified and, uh, justified and things like that. AMC um, had uh, breaking bad famously and mad men, uh, mad men and the walking dead at least the the, the initial seasons of the walking dead and um, shillman kind of pointed out that before amc became a walking dead spin-off factory like there was actually there was there was good original shit on amc how many walking dead spin-offs are there more than there should be uh fear the walking dead dead city and uh daryl dixon are the three that come to mind right now and then the, what the heck is dead city that's the uh, Negan and Maggie spinoff. Isn't there a uh, Rick and Michonne movie coming Next out year. too or something? Next year. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a lot of Walking Dead. And <laughs> um, that's not to yeah. say that there wasn't anything on like net- network TV kicking around because you had the West Wing on there too. The West Wing was kicking around on, I think that was ABC when it came out, NBC. I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that network wasn't, I'm not saying network was bad. It's just what it always had been, which was kind of broad, broad entertainment for a large audience. That's kind of what it is now, even what few, you know, standouts of broadcast TV there are. Um, You're not like, quote unquote, hold on, this wave of quote unquote prestige did kind of pull and um kind of coerce network to try to try some edgier things like community and like uh the office and uh things like that but um lost gray's anatomy lost uh i don't know about great gray's anatomy is kind of a straight up doctor show okay in the grand style but like house definitely is not yeah that but then Shulman goes on to say that David Fincher comes to HBO with the idea for House of Cards, and HBO is like, eh, we're good. Now nah, we're good on that. Uh, <laughs> we're we're good on that. Uh, a little a little known outfit called Netflix steps up and is like, hey, um, uh, here's some money. <laughs> um, why don't you make the show for us? Why don't you make the show happen? And uh, and then. Once they do House of Cards, they get Orange is the New Black, and then Netflix becomes, and then original programming becomes a big part of the streaming landscape. 
which it hadn't been up to that point. It was Netflix, for those of you that don't know, was just straight DVDs. That's all it was. Right. So Netflix had, again, Netflix, um, House of Cards was not Netflix's first foray into uh, standalone programming. They did used to just be a rental outfit. They did just used to be a place where you could watch uh, old stuff. But then when they started their first, thing they did that was original stuff was picking up Arrested Development and paying for a fourth season. And then House of Cards, uh, Orange is the New Black, and then they were a full-fledged then they and then they were a full-fledged player in the marketplace. What did it do to the landscape when Netflix was something that needed to be taken seriously as far as original content? Like how did that how do, how do you think that changed things? Because I'm thinking like, all right, hold on. Wait, wait a second. Who's this new who's this new teenager coming in trying to show us how to do things? Well, I don't like, think it was so much. I don't think it was so much that they were trying to upset the apple cart like that. It just showed it was just like, OK, so don't I mean, I'm just going to like grossly talk about how cable worked. Um, here's Teeves' common man definition of how cable works no 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 like this is the way the cable contract I think would work like let's say you're HBO time uh, Warner Cable or whatever cable company X is going to pay HBO X amount of dollars to feature HBO on their on their cable channel or in their system, right? Yeah. Um, I think the appeal to the to the um producers, to the tele to the creators, to the to the studios is hey, we can control this whole thing. We can control everything, and we don't have to worry about, you know, Ted Turner or whatever, whoever the cable companies are. We don't have to we can just go directly to the people. We're not bound and, by anyone. Right. And all we have to do is get enough subscribers to make this profitable. And, you know, we're probably not going to be profitable for a while. But uh, all we have once to do we is be- collect subscribers and then we'll be fine. Once we do become profitable, it's going to be not necessarily a cash machine, but, you know, mm-hmm. we, we won't be flat broke. <laughs> right. And that kind of threw that whole thing of all these different streaming platforms coming out, them all wanting to have stuff that appealed to people to get people to sign on kind of threw gasoline on the whole fire. All these, you just had an explosion of shows so much content. You couldn't even watch it. That was also something Shulman pointed out how like the birth of Netflix, maybe Panic is the wrong word, but I feel like it kind of is. It was just like a panic by the larger companies. And he know and he noted Disney, Paramount, and one other company to get their own streaming services going. Uh yes, but again, yeah, yes. Again, like I do think the that them seeing a way to not have to be beholden to cable companies did play a role in their desire to do streaming. Pandemic hits, COVID, everybody's stuck at home. Everybody that's needs great. that's great for 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 this kind of programming, you know. Fantastic for this kind of programming, but as we have talked about before, 
there was a rush to get certain things out by certain streaming services and maybe it was half done maybe it was out of order it just i don't want to say it ruined the experience of some of these shows but the hastiness of how they came out i feel it kind of ruined some of the show watching experience for me and and others as well i know i've talked about this with wandavision and you know falcon winter soldier i'm not we're not debating the goodness of these shows i'm just telling you how i felt in that moment when these shows felt kind of rushed to me as a fan of marvel content and the mcu hulu wasn't really doing anything other than the handmaid's tale and even that was kind of put on pause for a little bit amc was doing its walking dead thing they were years after breaking bad better call saul had hit the scene so maybe that was a little bit of a reprieve but not by too much i think the, i think what the pandemic did is and i, I keep referencing shulman I think we're all waiting for the next X when Tarantino became big with Pulp Fiction. Every studio was like, get me the next Pulp Fiction. When in the 70s, people were like, get me the next Godfather. In the 2000s, it would be like, get me the next this, get me the next uh, Sopranos, get me the next Wire, like something like that. I feel like right now we're in this place and we talk about quote-unquote market correction all the time maybe we finally reach that tipping point where people are like okay actually let me just ask the question you as a consumer of ip do you want the next thing of x that was great or do you want the next great thing that's brand new that we've never seen before um i, I, I guess think... the next big cultural phenomenon i guess now is what oh, I'm trying to oh, say. so you want so you so you're saying everybody's waiting for the next game of Thrones or the next thing that's going to take over the cultural uh the pop cultural landscape and be just like this giant thing that's just sitting in the middle of pop culture i guess so yeah is that what you're saying i guess all so right. well first of all yeah <laughs> i think we're programmed to do that because okay i think that the 10 years of peak tv that we just that we just lived through yes kind of has changed our expectations a lot about what we demand from tv and i think as the studios start to pivot back to um, a way of making and doing television that's more profitable because they because a bunch of a lot of services just lost their shirts trying to <laughs> making super expensive shows trying to get subscribers and then like realizing hey um subscribers are good but you know what else is good actual actual money, money. <laughs> so i think as they move to something that's going to look more like network television of old, hmm. I think we are going to feel like, hey, this isn't the same. This is not what I'm used to. This is not what the last 10 or 15 years were like. Where's my Madman? Where's my Game of Thrones? Where's my Where's my Breaking Bad? Like, where's the thing that is going to be 
the unstoppable pop cultural force that everybody talks about, that everybody's kind of on board with. I think just the nature of streaming makes that impossible just because no, pretty much nobody's watching anything at the same time anymore. Even with and, something as simple as like a sitcom of like the old days? Well, you do. I do have to say that I think the way television was consumed in the past helped help things become like mountains on the cultural landscape right because, because if if there was a new episode of something everybody was talking about it all in at the water cooler and if you didn't watch it then you're sitting there waiting for the rerun right or not even that it's oh hey did you watch did you watch show x <laughs> it's not just oh did you it's not even like the 90s where did you watch show x no i missed it i gotta wait okay well whatever <laughs> it's now did you watch show x no don't talk about it i'm gonna watch it later yeah like doesn't even let us have a a discourse about things really so because um, we're all waiting for everybody to consume the same thing so we can all talk right. about it all at once right. and then you get the people on the internet they're just like oh no spoiler spoiler alert this thing that thing right. the other thing um so yeah it does cut day, down on the discourse right back in the day when this stuff was on cable not on streaming like it kind of was the sense like all right this is my chance I don't know when it'll be on again, so I got to catch it now. And everybody's catching it at the same time, and they're all talking about it and whatever. Yeah, that's fine. That that behavior kind of moved along, even as the way TV was distributed and consumed changed. There was still this need to consume it as soon as it came out and talk about it and digest it, so that you're able to talk about it at the water cooler. Now. People are watching different things on different platforms at different times, and there's not a single. Um, it's much harder for a single thing to 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 dominate the cultural landscape, if that makes sense. It does. Can I brush back to a point about uh, edginess of TV shows? There have been newer shows that have been coming out that are on that line of edgy. And I'm talking about shows like, again, HBO is still doing that kind of work. They're insecure, euphoria. Is it just to the point now where... Those are old. Insecure it, and euphoria are five-year-old shows at this point. Like, I don't think... I think, I mean, and again, edgy, quote-unquote edgy is not a word that I love using because it's like what a teenager thinks adult stuff is. And it's not yeah. what it is. It's like, it's just mature stuff. It's just stuff that is different from the way network television usually introduces some conflict, but resolves it in a very like kind of schmaltzy, like everything's okay in the end, everything works out kind of way. Um, I, dealing I, with with narratives where things don't always work out, things don't always end cleanly, and that's it. Like, and if that's if you if we calling that edginess, that's fine. It's just I don't like that particular adjective. But so let me ask you, let me ask you this: mm -hmm. I'm wondering if age comes into play and generational shifting because we have because you know I will be 43 this week you'll be something in the neighborhood of like 82, 83 next summer. Mm -hmm. um, 
how how much does that play in like this new generation of television consumers it seems like and you can correct me but every generation has the type of content they want to consume maybe prestige tv of the 90s and 2000s stuff that we grew up with and things that we kind of watched as we were like young mature adults maybe that's not what this social media tiktok generation kind of wants does that make sense well thing well they they have it the thing is they're grow it's they're not like us they're growing up with access to everything so if they want to watch breaking like they can grow up with breaking bad they can grow up with all the stuff that we quote unquote grew up with that's true it doesn't matter um well, I mean, my I, I guess the question would be the fact that it came out before they were into it or before their time. Does that affect how it moves them as a television consumer? Like, does watching Breaking Bad as a fresh, like 18 year old in 2023, does it hit the same as somebody that watched it when it first came out? So, again, we're talking about it like i mean i i couldn't answer that because i grew up in a time when consuming stuff when it first came out was kind of what you did this is why we need savannah <laughs> yeah that's why we need a z um but i'm not exactly sure what you're getting at there i'm just uh, I'm, like i'm just wondering if the 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 growing generation, the new generation, the gen, the millennials and uh, gen alpha and the generations after that. I'm just wondering if their TV desires are kind of shifting to what if they're leading Hollywood to shift how they create content, what content they create. All right. So that's going to lead us to questions about the future, which is something I'd like to get into. But let's take a quick break. Let's go to break. Let's go to break and get into that. All right. So we're going to take a break and then we are going to come back is the Teeves and Kid Phoenix podcast. We're talking about the twilight of prestige television. We will be back after these words. Is the Teams and Kid Phoenix podcast. We are talking about the twilight of prestige television. This was just a conversation that we wanted to have based on a article that we both read in the New Yorker, and we talked about prestige television, what it was in its heyday, where it is now, and like what are we looking forward to in the future. And I, I got to say, I'm looking into the things that are coming out in 2024 and anything having to do. All right, well, let's, let's start with this first real quick. Cause we have to discuss it since the SAG after strike is over and the writer's strike is over in the immediate future. Is it, is 2024 going to be rough because of one of two reasons, either one shows are not done or two shows are being rushed to get put out. Because, oh my God, we went through this horrible pair of strikes. Very pro-union. Congratulations to both Writers Guild and sag But companies and studios have to rush this stuff out because, let's face it, we need to get eyes so we can get money, so we can make more content. 
Is that something you're kind of afraid of? No, I don't think anything's going to get rushed. Um, because there's there's other cha- like you know Netflix can always dip into some overseas stuff, put some stuff out, maybe find another Squid Game. Um, they can do game shows like they did before, like more crazy reality concepts like golden bachelor (laughs) (laughs) i i I knew that was going to be a topic of discussion there's stuff like is it is again i think 2024 is going to be the year where you feel where if where you start to feel oh hey this is different now there's not there's not like triple a shows on there's going to be yeah so that's my point so again in the future i don't think there's going to be triple a shows anymore i think there's going to be a lot of double a shows and maybe some single a shows but i but i don't think there's going to be like the triple a no like, nothing nothing from the big movie stars shows that cost 200 million dollars to make i don't that's probably not happening anymore is there a show outside of the Marvel universe that you're excited about to either debut or return next year? Well, I was pretty excited about uh, True Detective coming back. I uh, was, as well, I am as well. Um, I was. What else was I looking forward to next? Year? Well, True Detective was supposed to come out this year, and that got pushed back 2024. So I'm still excited for that. As far as 2024 releases, why don't you talk about a few of the things that are coming out? So some of the things that are coming out, um, so brand new debuts. I think the only show outside of the Marvel Universe that I'm really kind of interested in, it's it's a rough list. Uh, maybe, maybe Orphan Black Echoes, possibly. Uh Donald Glover's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's interesting concept. I but outside of that, not really. The hell Other things. Moana TV show. There is a Moana series coming on the Disney Plus network, and then of course I'm interested in Daredevil: Born Again, but also like very very cautiously optimistic. I have no interest in the live action avatar the lost uh, the last airbender uh agatha i could care less about the rick and michonne walking dead spinoff i have no interest in x-men 97 is supposed to come next year so we'll see if that actually happens uh star trek prodigy is moving to netflix next year what the hell is the acolyte (laughs) see you're just looking you're just looking at the list here uh there there are shows ending next year that i'm a little bit uh sad about uh the first of which is big mouth is probably one of the better just animated comedies that are out on netflix right now uh star trek prodigy also ending next year uh and then a little show called star trek discovery that is also ending next year so i'm a little bit sad about that but outside of that brand new brand new stuff i'm not too psyched about many things so that list the list that i was looking on shows a lot of 
franchise stuff, which I think is when you do see any thing that anybody's spending a lot of money on, that's probably what it's going to be. Some kind of big franchise, uh, uh, Marvel or star Wars or something like that. And I, I see Andor on this list, but I don't know if that's actually going to happen. Yeah, so it doesn't look like there's a ton of 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 things that are trying to push the envelope, or there's not a lot of new IP coming. So not brand new. So, so maybe right. next year. Next year is like the year of like okay. We're we're gonna ease everybody back into this a little bit while we regroup and get everything, get all the studios open, and we'll make some of the stuff that you're familiar with, and then we'll take some swings, hopefully, fingers crossed, and then put out some new shit as well. I mean, that's probably what the future is gonna be anyway. Just like companies are scared, like if they're gonna spend money. They're going to try to find whatever they can to get the the most eyeballs. And that's probably going to be, at least until that bubble bursts, some kind of franchise or some kind of something connected to some existing IP somewhere. Um, Unless, and here's the thing, there's still a couple... Well, there's mainly one streamer left that still has enough money to try to take big swings. I'm pretty convinced at this point, HBO, the way we thought of HBO as being kind of this home and this, this place where uh kind of envelope pushing. Yeah. HBO big and- idea shows an IP was living is not going to be the case anymore. I'm pretty sure HBO is just going to be grinding out. It's, its existing series and whatever new stuff it has is probably going to be related to the dcu and so yeah way. i was just gonna um, point that out because that's something shulman said too in his piece where hbo has become kind of just like a hub for like binging older stuff and then whatever new dc movies are on so do you remember back in the day hbo slogan was to what used to be uh it's not tv it's hbo yeah yeah, now it's just TV. <laughs> Back to being TV now. <laughs> and um so yeah, Apple Plus is actually the one I'm more uh excited by because they actually Oh, they Apple, have they have loads of cash. Apple has FU money. Yes. And if they can say, Oh, hey, um interesting filmmaker X or interesting creative X. Why don't you do something for us? Here's some money. <laughs> um, A- Apple TV, as as we kind of like we said, we're not here to litigate the goodness of shows. Yeah. But when Apple TV launched with the morning show, and then Ted Lasso came, like Apple TV came became kind of big players, and they have original movies coming out, and they have original TV I, yeah. coming out. So I, I don't know if they're big players yet. However. Apple's brand is about what it's about quality, right? It's about being slick and all together and quality, and you're getting something that is a total package. And I think that is what you can expect from them. You're going to get something that is 
very is like kind of art forward but like focused on quality and um sorry about that sorry uh, right. apple tv is not apple tv is not out here pushing like ted lasso spinoffs they're not doing that no and i don't think that they would be the ones to do a bunch of spinoffs because it is it's just in the in that company's dna to take risks so i do think they have enough of a soft mattress to land on that they can take some leaps it it also doesn't hurt that they have uh money coming from uh sports like they have they broadcast some major league baseball games so they get money from that they have a they have the global streaming rights to major league soccer so they're getting money from that like apple is out here just getting things that make sense so that they don't necessarily have to rely on subscribers so to speak right also some of the other companies putting their libraries which used to be locked away behind their own streaming services moving stuff over to other streaming services just for a little bit of capital and uh, you get a broader audience insecure and now it's on, now being on netflix means that there's maybe a lot more eyeballs that can get on there you know um maybe this is maybe this is the next thing maybe this is the part of the future and part of the next evolution and this is definitely wishful thinking but like companies sharing catalogs slash working together like i'm not saying we're ever going to see like something a collaboration from warner brothers and disney or anything like that but you know like we're seeing insecure on netflix maybe we'll see some other shows on other platforms to kind of get interest in the service so that other companies can be like apple tv and have some of this excess cash to lay to lay out for taking swings i think what people are finding out in the industry is it is tough to be in the creating and the distribution business at the same time it is really hard yeah, because... some companies out here are trying to be Walter White and Jesse Pinkman at the same time. It's just not working. Right. So maybe the big time producers like the Disney's, like the Warner's, like the Sony's and the Universal's, maybe they'll say, hey, why don't we get back to what we're really good at, which is making stuff. And we'll let Netflix and Apple and these guys distribute the stuff. I think that's, that's network TV. That's the I think that's the shift. I think that's the shift. And I think you were talking about this with me before. Like there's a difference between maker and there's a difference between studio and distributor. And I think that you're right in the sense that when these studios became their own distributors, they kind of they kind of cut off their nose to spite their face a little bit. Yeah, because the because the distributor was like, we need stuff to distribute. So that put a ton of pressure on the producers to make stuff, which in turn put a lot of stress on the entire company to pay for stuff. So right. maybe if the companies are like, okay, so we're going to do this stuff and it's going to be here. 
Like, why wouldn't? Okay. <laughs> I understand why Disney would think that they need their own service, but why wouldn't? But don't you think it would make sense at some point in the future for Disney to just say, look, we're just focusing on on making shit and you'll find it exclusively on Apple and Apple will give us a gigantic check for the right to be the exclusive distributor of all Disney content, right? That's the cable. That's cable again. It, it is, but like, fine. But we had to, I guess we had to take this four way foray into the woods just to realize, oh, wait, the path we were on before was fine. It's It's fine. Can I draw some kind of parallel a little bit? And you can tell me if it's completely wrong, but remember the, the the video game wars when they were coming to a close and sega was just like you know what fuck it we're not doing any, we're not doing consoles anymore like we'll do games and then we'll we'll sell the, we'll sell the distribution rights for these games to other consoles because we're tired of losing money on consoles right um that's the problem sega was in the distribution and the production business and it is really tough to be in both of those businesses at the same time. Right. And like not to draw too much on Even that parallel, like, but Nintendo okay. could do it. Sony can do it. Nintendo and Microsoft do it can do it. Nintendo could. Okay. Could Microsoft do it? I think. Well, maybe not anymore, I think, but. I don't think Microsoft ever really. Microsoft never really had a great production studio. They kept trying to buy studios to stay viable and yeah, as the minute microscope microsoft would acquire a studio they would immediately turn to garbage i don't know why i don't know what happens and i'm sorry blizzard fans but uh this is happening wow blizzard um, fans catching strays on today's podcast no because they they just they're about to get bought by if it hasn't happened already they will soon be a part of microsoft and as i stated when things are acquired by microsoft they go something shit. happens and they just turn to shit. So, um, <laughs> yeah, good good luck with that World of Warcraft uh, distributed by Microsoft, guys. Yeah, I look forward to Diablo Five being on every new computer going <laughs> forward. Um, but yeah, back to the distribution point. Um, what so, yeah, company? Maybe... What what mm-hmm. company? Right now. Obviously, Disney probably doesn't have to do it, but I mean, maybe that's the other thing. Disney has so much. They own Marvel. They own Fox. They don't need to necessarily focus on just creating content. Is there a studio that should just focus on content and not necessarily the distribution? Or is that just like it needs to focus on the content, not the distribution? Uh, I think Disney's the number one uh, people that shouldn't be like, I don't think Paramount should be in the having a platform. No, no. Paramount put all Paramount. You can win a lot of hearts and minds right now. If you just took all your content, all the Star Wars, the star Jesus, I'm sorry. If you took all the Star Trek content that you have from the decades of content you have and just said, you know what? Hulu, take all of our Star Trek content, put it on your service, give us a check, we'll be happy. Hey, Universal. Um wasn't it great when <laughs> when the office was super popular on Netflix? Yeah. And you could sell a ton of merch and like didn't have to like worry about maintaining a streamer. 
Wasn't that great? Hey, um, hey, hey, AMC. Remember when I could watch Breaking Bad, Mad Men, and like every season of The Walking Dead on Netflix? Go back to that. <laughs> right. And the like, difference these smaller between... studios should not be doing these smaller studios. I agree. These smaller studios should not have distribution networks. They shouldn't. It makes no sense because what are they pumping out other than reruns and spinoffs? And the thing is, it's different from cable. For the consumer, because you don't have to buy a bunch of fucking channels you don't want to watch. You right. can just get like if Apple has the shit I want, I'll just get Apple. If X has what I want, I'll just get that. I'm not paying for again. I'm not gonna pay for. Uh, uh, I'm not gonna pay for HBO for one thing, Netflix for another thing, Hulu for another thing, Apple TV for right. another thing, Paramount, HBO and so should... on and so forth. <laughs> HBO should mutiny and form <laughs> their own thing separate of Warner Discovery. That's oh my god, thing that happened. Like, let okay. So, first of all, this is my impassioned plea to Netflix or Apple or someone with money. Please, uh, please, so so Netflix please. is on Netflix is on camera two, uh, Hulu's on camera three, and then Apple okay, TV's right. on camera four. All right, you guys, somebody please pick up Winning Time. Please. Oh, my God, please. For the love of God, anybody. I like that show. Anybody with brains. Or, like, just give me more shows about the early, about, I don't know, black people doing stuff in the <laughs> early 80s, please. Can I have that? that? Uh, can, can, I, can I throw in a caveat? Black, no. people, black people doing things in the 80s that is not crack cocaine related. Right, no drug selling. I don't want drugs involved. <laughs> I want black people of that. doing stuff, not drugs or crime. Can we have that, please? That'd be great. <laughs> we talked about social media. We're just quickly, 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 quickly. Just let me make one last point. Go ahead. Because you talked about Gen Alpha and whatever and what they might be into. I think that there's another shit to drop here. I think that, I think that in the social media space or specific, I don't. I feel like TikTok isn't really a social media space because yeah, you can interact, but it's more just something that you consume. You're, you're not really interacting with the same way you would say Facebook or yeah, or even or or, or even X. Um, not anymore. That's for damn sure. I do, th I do think that at some point somebody's going to crack how you do a narrative based series or something on that on that platform and when mm. that happens that's the next thing that should have everybody in the industry shitting their pants i totally agree if tiktok mm. if somebody some studio comes up with a way to crack that code and put something on that platform that completely takes over the landscape of that generation there's going to be much, much, much shitting of bricks. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if Hollywood is ready for that. Oh, and, and, and with that, we will just close and say, listen, we hope things get better on whatever streaming service you watch, whatever TV that you watch. We hope things get better. We, we, do you have faith? Do I, I don't know if I do, but I, 
listen, you you are your own man. Honestly, I think that the the IP bubble has is going to burst at some point. So, um, and again, the thing that might burst that bubble is uh, somebody coming up, somebody cracking. Let's just say the TikTok narrative or yeah. the, the two minute narrative driven format on phones and on mobile. Well, we're gonna be here when it happens, continuing to crack that uh bubble of podcasting at least we're gonna continue to try listen follow subscribe download the podcast wherever you listen download podcasts we're also on social media facebook x instagram i'm on tiktok teebs is not however we'll put all the links in the description where you can find us teebs uh next week is thanksgiving so i feel like that is a perfect time to do a little best of and re-educate the people about important Thanksgiving dishes and what not to do when preparing said dishes, who is authorized to prepare such dishes. Like we will can we will rerun that course for all of you next week. Very important stuff. Also, Very important just, want, stuff. just want to say that uh, your boy Teebs has just recently launched uh, volume two of uh, the Hargasm comic anthology Phobias. Oh yeah, get that into that Kickstarter. Yes, yeah, so Kickstarter. It's twelve. Ste- it's twelve uh, stories, all based around particular fears, done by a crack team of indie comics creators um check that out on kickstarter we're trying to make that happen so yeah go air go to kickstarter look for phobias tales of hargasm volume two i'll link the uh, description give me some money (laughs) (laughs) teams is out here taking swings give him some money Mm -hmm. uh do you can you say which phobia you did are you not authorized to spoil right now I, I'm all over that book, so I've done quite a few. The story that I did 100% myself is Fear of Snow. So, uh, Gee, that's 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 great. That's great for me, living on the East Coast. So thank you for that. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Until, until next week, enjoy the rerun. But after that, we'll be back with brand new content. Teams, I'm, I'm very much enjoying this, like, topical educational thought-provoking podcast in the last two weeks but yeah is is time to get back into some dick and fart jokes yeah i think we're doing the tom and jerry the trial of tom v jerry is right after things right after thanksgiving that's happening and Uh, then sometime in december um we're gonna do the fast and the fucking furious (laughs) i can't believe it um i have migrated that to my christmas present not my birthday present Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Do your homework. It's 10 films, bro. Jesus. <laughs> Until next time, we're out of here, folks.